Mr. Ed. Yes. Before I forget, because I'm at the age where I just hear one minute and you know, I'll, I'll go on my next. I was watching the Mike Huckabee show last night, and uh, Joe Navarro, who had been part of the Trump administration, was on it. And he was telling us that what Israel is doing right now in Gaza is destroying all those miles and miles of tunnels underneath that has been able to bring in whatever and take mm -hmm. out whoever and blah, blah, blah. And then he said something, and my teeth just almost dropped out, that the reason we couldn't win the Vietnam War was because of tunnels. Well, that's, that's probably some truth in that, yeah. I know, I'd have a hard time crawling down in that tunnel. Amen. Yeah. 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 Ms. Wan is asking for another table. Okay. It takes five minutes in Gaza right now. So <laughs> I think it's pretty well right right at the moment they're there. So pretty rough. So yeah, that's a that's a difficult situation. Well, I'm gonna try to wrap this up this week and next week. Uh, I may not be successful. I'll give it a good try here. Uh, I want to just review where we were and, and try to keep. Let me just try to tell you my plan of attack here. And, and uh, I've had more scope I wanted to try to accomplish here, but I'm slowly. Uh, I've got to turn slowly slowly working backwards to uh, and realize I can't do everything I'd, I'd set out to do uh, probably will uh, not get to the issue of what is our role versus the church in terms of that that's another day and another dollar but I will try to finish out at least today uh, 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 to try to illuminate the problem in terms of what our aim is Okay, and then next week, if you flip over, you'll see on the back a series of books about the issue of resistance and obedience in a Christian perspective. I briefly went over these a few months back, but I'm going to go back to these and try to summarize them and get to the heart of what they teach, okay, and, and it's sort of an historical view. And so that's an awful lot to do. I'll maybe start that. Well, I won't get started. I give up. I'll try to get this done this week, okay? We're about that next week. Uh, so, but I want to focus in on really, the, let me tell you the heart of the issue in my mind is, is there such a thing as a Christian nation? Is there such a thing? Is it biblically something that we should even aim for? Uh, the, the reason I ask this question is I'm convinced that based on our Living in America, being raised in America, being fed America, being Americans, which I am holy heart, heart and from toe to heel, okay? And head and top of my poor head and my chinny chin chin, however you want to put it, I'm an American, okay? But, but I don't think we can even adequately comprehend a worldview where God is at the center. It, it, it has been removed from our possibilities that God could act in such a way that he would transform this nation into a Christian nation. Now, what I'm, when I, when I get to the heart of the issue we're getting at is this is not something men do. This is not a work of man. I'm not going to asking you to go out there and make this Christian, but it's not the point I'm trying to get to. But it is a work of God. And all I'm trying to hold open is the possibility that there is such a reality that, that, of a Christian nation. And, and, and in order to understand this issue of civil disobedience, and in order to categorize the different theories, you run right up into that issue. Because you have, in time, you have the, what I'll call the early Reformation, which is very biblically oriented. You have, you have in time, the 
creeping attacks from Arminianism and antinomianism and other things, and you have this slowly, uh, uh, you, 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 the church begins to splinter and fall apart. You then have the, the Enlightenment and, and modern man, and, and, in the, and in this modern enlightened world, the idea, even the idea that, that there can be such a thing as something outside of us and the people that could be related to God is difficult to comprehend. And my argument is that, that in order to understand this theory, when you read somebody uh, like uh, Brutus, who's a pseudonym for somebody who wrote a track on Vendicae uh, in, in the French Revolution, when you read his summary of these relationships, you've got to understand that they didn't see this distinction between political and religion that we do today. They saw it as very much united. They looked at the Bible as the Word of God and as a foundation of where we get our truth. Now, come mark the time forward to John Locke, the American uh, Constitution and all of this. It's built largely on Locke and, and Montesquieu and others and, and, and many thinkers. Uh, and which, 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 but if you read those men, they're not entirely sectoral either. They use a lot of biblical arguments. You'll, you'll, they rely on, so it's not totally, even in the, even, in, even turn the clock for 100 years from our confession, there's still a biblical framework there, but yet there's still a, a larger and larger emphasis on natural law and reason and, and whatever in terms of trying to, trying to do some things. So you've got to understand these arguments within that context. So I'm just trying to lay out here very briefly the possibility there could be such as Christian. I use this illustration on the front page to point out what a blessing it is to live in a land where, where God's Word is believed to be the Word of God. And generation after generation, here's the generational influence. The Wycliffe Bible showed up in these areas. People became convicted of the Word of God. This particular area was noted in Knox's day as Lollards of Kyle, okay? Uh, many of them were persecuted because of their religious faith. A hundred years later, during the Reformation era, after the Westminster Confession and Restoration of King Charles, uh, there was continued persecution. And, and I've listed down at the bottom of the page the people from this just little area who died for for not being well, not wanting to accept the difference between a religion where they had to say the king was the head of the church and a religion where they didn't. Okay, doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was enough for them to die for. But the, but the point of getting, if you look at, if you were to fly over this area, you'd see a church as a symbol. These, these were a religious people. There is such a thing as a religious country, a religious, a religious nation, a religious people, a religious place. Uh, it, it is not something that never has existed. Now. Is it ever perfect? No, that's not my point. If that's the measurement, there wouldn't even be such a thing as a church. So if you say, well, it's not perfect, it can't be true, well, then forget the church too, okay? But my argument is, you take this little place in time where God poured out His grace. Now, I, I, I'm not, I'm, it's not the people. It's God pouring out His grace in such a way that you had books written like The Christian's Great Interest by, by Guthrie. And then the song by David Dixon in this area. You, you, you had people willing to die for the cross. You had John Neve's sermons on the covenant of grace. You know, actually, John Neve, by the way, translated about one-fourth of the Hebrew psalms into the common meter psalm of that day, the psalmetry of that day. He was one of the people assigned by the Westminster Confession to do this. So these weren't yokels. These were educated people who saw... A, a role and authority and a purpose in God, and, and it can it can happen. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say. It can happen. And I'm going to briefly go over them. I get lost in this point, but but I but I want to emphasize one thing. I'm not going to go back into the inner triangle, which is what does it mean to be a Christian? And no condition, condition, faith, hope, love. Be, we, I'm not going to go back through that. I'm just going to try to put that in a secular context. And even in a secular context. The bigger circle outside the shaded circle is our, our, our reality outside of Christ in the world. We still have the Holy Spirit. We still have the Son. We still have the Father. Just because you walk outside the church, do you think the Father doesn't exist anymore? Do you think the Holy Spirit doesn't do work? Do you think Christ doesn't influence? Or isn't this whole thing is working towards a purpose for God. And as I said before, how can you know history? How can you even be an intelligent person in, in the definition that I described last week, without without understanding history in its true sense, How, if you take God, the Holy Father, if you take all of that out of history, out of you know, you, you don't really see it truly. 
And the point I'm trying to draw at is on the left-hand side at the bottom, if, if we lived in a world where, we, where there was a Christian nation, and, and I know I'm dreaming, I know I'm idealistic, but there would be less conflict and issue with us, okay? Our children would hear the right things. Our, 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 there would be a framework for Christian life. It would, it would be much better play. We'd, have, we'd be much nearer to those blessings that God bestowed upon us. I'm not going to say we're going to ever be ideal in this world. This is a generalization. Whereas if you live in a world where there is a big difference between the secular world's view of things and a Christian view, that difference is covered by suffering. And the greater the difference, the greater the suffering. So all I'm, I'm making a very simple practical argument here that there are great practical benefits, logical benefits, as well as biblical benefits that are there. That's all I'm trying to argue. Okay, move on. There are five principles that I laid out in this book on, on church and state. And if I wrote it today, I'd write it better and differently, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to stick with what I said then. And we went through two and maybe three of them last week. We're going to try to pick that up and finish it today. But I want to summarize something here. These principles are, first of all, the, the fundamental principle is the church and state are distinct. Okay, however they have common obligations. Now, almost everybody agrees with that. That's not a terribly controversial statement. The second state is that the state is acknowledged to offer God as a source of authority. Christians are obligated to educate the state regarding and both share the common end to advance the glory of God and the common good. Well, that, that itself within, within the reform camp is not a controversial statement. Okay. This, when we go, go to principles three, four, and five is where we get into the controversy and, and where we get into what was missing in the early framing of our own church confessions as well as our constitution. But if you read all of these people that wrote during the time of great persecution and during, during the Reformation area, they would have hold to these principles. That states are obligated to acknowledge, I'm just gonna go third one. The state is obligated to promote good and punish evil according to the word. The Word of God should be our standard. It doesn't mean that we should impose that on people, not the point, but it, it should be the standard by which we uh, have a legal system. And it, it, it fundamentally was, you know, to some degree or to a large degree, but it's becoming eroded more and more and more. Fourth point, states are obligated to honor and acknowledge Jesus Christ and mold their institutions of behavior in conformity with Christian principles. Well, that's a pretty radical idea there, is it not? I mean, you may even say that that's anti-our confession. But then you have the fifth point, that there is such a possibility that God could pour out his grace on a nation or in place in such a way that a Christian nation results. And the Christian people see that grace and are so impacted by it that they come with God to maintain and sustain that and to fight and defend that. All right? Now you say, well, that, that's exactly what happened in Scotland. That's exactly what happened in England. Our Westminster Confession was written by an assembly that almost every man in it swore to the solid league and covenant. They were committed to those principles. That was the fundamental principle. That was, that was so logical to them. It's what the Bible says. Why, 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 isn't that, why would God not make that a possibility of existence? It's what they said, okay? That was the framework. And so by the point I'm getting to is there's a, there is a line here, it's sort of like a magnet, that if the state is not that, doesn't the Bible also say that we can't have any league with evil? Okay. Isn't there also some sense in which we have to say no? Well, okay, I, I can't join you in this, all right, because it's an evil, evil association. So, so, so you have this ultimate conflict here of, of a world that goes on. Now, you take those five points, and, and I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to go over them today, but if you go to the next page, I've listed out three different confessions. They are a P confession, I've written about the same time, our PCA or our, our, our Southern Presbyterian or PC, Presbyterian American confession, same thing. And then we have the original confession uh, by the Westminster Assembly. Note that each one of them gets longer, but not necessarily clearer. Okay, all right. And, 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 and the point I want to get to is if you map these up versus these five principles up here, you say, does our confession today agree that we're separate but common obligations? Yep. Does our confession to say basically say there's a role for the state as nursing father? Yes. 
Is there a profession to say that the state should promote religion according to the Word of God? Help me out here. Where does it say that? The large category. Oh, okay, okay. All right, good point. All right, good point. Okay, all right, okay, good point. So, so I'll, I'll give you credit, larger catechism. You can give it a half check. Okay, all right, large check. Right. Okay, I give a half point. Okay, great. I'll give it I'll give a half check. All right. All right. That 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 yeah, kind. Of. Okay. Yeah, but not not as clear it's not as clear as as it is in like the ARP or like the original competitive. It's just not as clear. There essentially what we're saying is that there's no standard. I mean, well, you know, you got oh, you're on the larger catechism, the foundation, yeah, you can get it out of there, but but let me just ask you this. Shouldn't Christians be clear? Shouldn't we have clear ideas? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we know right and wrong, what's right and proper? I mean, so why, why the ambiguity? Why, why the hesitancy to say that? Go to the next one. Should a state acknowledge Jesus Christ? Does our confession require that for the state? Don't think so. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I haven't read it. Maybe again you can give it a half credit here. Now, if you go to the ARP confession, yes, 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 yes. If you go to the original Westminster confession, yes, 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 yes. There is something decidedly different. And I'm not saying there's not... <laughs> I am supporting our confession. But you need to understand where I'm coming from. I was on a committee in Presbytery one time, and the issue was, well, how do we deal with this particular issue where Pado communion kept coming up again and again. And there were two camps. Anybody who goes to Presbytery knows there are two camps. There are the true reformed, and then there's the bulk of everybody else. I made myself an enemy of both sides. Okay? Because my point was just the same. When I read, I read a lot of the reformers, I read a lot of the Puritans. They were very insistent. What is, what is, is the Westminster Confession of Faith that our foundational document? What is our foundational document? Word of God. The scripture is our foundational document. We should always be challenging for scripture. So in my view, when someone comes up and has a difference to the confession, the issue isn't, well, well we've already we've declared that as an exception, let's just move on. The issue ought to be, let's challenge it. Have you read this? Have you, have you studied this? Have you looked at what the word says? Let's go. We ought to go back to that every time. That ought to be the foundation. So I was always trying to argue was, yeah, our confession says this, and I get you, but, but the real principle is here, and every time somebody comes up with an exception, we ought not be in this box of, oh, well, that's been granted, that's not. We ought to, be, we ought to challenge it. What does this book say right here? And where we want to hold that difference ought to be able to defend or argue this point. That would do the church good, and it would do the person good. That was all I was trying to argue. Okay. Well, anyway, my point is, we're in a world to where where arguably even our own denomination doesn't emphasize these, I'll just be kind, as clearly as they should, as we should. I'll just be kind. And, and so my argument is, is not that our confession is wrong. And first of all, depose me if you need to, okay? I'm just trying to tell you that I, my, 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 my commitment's to the Word of God. Argue with me in the Word of God relative to all of this, okay? That's where I'm coming from. I remember Jim Boss said the same thing. Pardon me? Jim Moss said the same thing. Okay, great. Well, maybe that's where I got it. Well, I don't know, but I, I remember him saying that, that uh, you know, they, they refer too much on the church order and everything. He said, let's go back to the Word of God. Amen. That's exactly what he said. Okay. And so, so you know, so anyway, that, that, the point I'm trying to get to is, don't tell me it's not a difference. Don't tell me that we have it as, as normal. And what I'm trying to do, as I went back, I, what I struggled with is, and I said, where did we get off the rail? Well, maybe we may go back and look at James Thornwell. I think James Thornwell unequivocally would agree with these two things right here. All right, for sure. Undoubtedly. Okay? It, it writings ooze with it, and I'll show you that. All right? That was 100 years ago. Okay? So not only have we gotten off the train, we're becoming increasingly more difficult to understand how can anybody believe that. Okay? So anyway, I want to get into that. Now, that is the last point. Is, there, is it possible to come to God? And my point is there's a toggle switch here. Toggle switch here. Toggle switch here. If you're not in a nation that's covered with God, there, you know, yes, there are different roles than if you are in a nation that covered with God. 
And, and that question, if you want to understand what John Knox had to say, and you want to understand the nature of the religion that overthrew queens and kings and nations during the Reformation, you need to understand that's where they were coming from. That, that there is this sense to where this is a possibility, and that, and, that, and that we're in covenant, and what is the extent of that covenant? Next week I'm going to get more into that topic. I'm going to leave it right now, because I, I, I'm still reading, okay? To what degree, because when you read these authors on this last page, they refer to basically two, well, there were really, I'll say there are three fundamental principles that should come out there. One of them is there's a natural law and a natural right and a natural obligation as a people to promote and defend good things. There is also a Christian obligation as a people of God to promote religion and to defend religion and to have a, have the right to have a, not a, we don't have any right we have not it's not a right it's an obligation that's the point they made clear it's not a right it's an obligation on our part to have a Christian framework in the world and where we're going that's an obligation okay it's not a right it's not a right it's an obligation and 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 that they saw that obligation of yes we should have a Christian nation and yes we shouldn't be having this adulterous lit and that. And the degree to when individuals and magistrates and all that, I'll save that the next week. Right. I'm just trying to settle the issue of there is something, there is something in our little world that we're missing. Okay? We're missing something. That's all I'm trying to say. And, and it, maybe it's good we're missing. Maybe we shouldn't have it. Maybe we maybe we've made the right decision. Maybe we've decided that we know better than God. Maybe we've decided that, that, that this is right and this is wrong. All right. Could be. But my argument is, I don't think so. Well, then throw these guys out the door. Now, the ARP wouldn't go to that last check, but the Westminster Confession would. They would say that it is okay to have an established religion in a Christian nation, and that's all John Knox was arguing. If you go back and look at these people, if you read them, the argument was, what does the Bible say about a Christian people and nation? And, and you know, they had example after example after example after example, and. This is what we should try to do and accomplish, okay? And there is such a thing. We believe God has done that in our nation. At least I'm putting my words in their mouth here. We can, we're going to swear in covenant with God to maintain that. Let me just say that even though they did that, you have to ask, how did that work out for them? Does that how long did that covenant last? Let me count the days. Okay. It wasn't that long. Why? What happened? Where did, where, where did it go down? Is it because it's not meant to be? Well, that's what led me to read right on but that's what I found so interesting about John Dabay servants. I said, okay, here's a guy that was actually in this little town here that on this picture I drew about that wrote these sermons about the covenant of grace. You know, he swore the Solomon League. What does he have to say about the Solomon League? Can he help clarify this for me? And I was surprised at his answer. Do you know how many times in a several hundred page book of 52 sermons that he mentioned the Solemn League of Covenant. One time. One time. That's the other point I'm trying to communicate here. I'm trying to distinguish between an understanding of what is right and proper and, and reality of what is really better, okay? What is more important. The point I'm trying to get to is yes, these are important things and principles. But is that really our principal concern? No. Our principal concern is to be a Christian. But I assure you that being a Christian is such a difficult thing that, that if you try it all your life and never endeavor to do it, you never would succeed in doing it. It's such a difficult thing. That's our main goal, to be a Christian. Okay, so I'm not trying to get you out here to want a bandwagon to go promote war. This when God brings it about, all I'm trying to say is if God does, all I'm trying to communicate is this. If God does indeed pour out his grace on this land and in such a, a convincing way that we have national leaders so Christian, that we're not so stupid as to say, oh, our confession won't let us do that. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. I, that's all on the point I'm trying to make. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to turn you into zealots because they weren't zealots. These people that died on the cross didn't die to be a Christian nation. They died because Jesus Christ saved their life. They died because that was the focus of their life. 
And to me, when you get down to trying to answer this question of how do we respond to civil magistrates, it comes down to that singular principle. Our primary obligation is our covenant obligation to God the Father, the three Jesus Christ, and that's where, that's where our commitment is. And, and, and nothing I'm going to say here confuses us. Don't get me wrong here. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make sure you've got the whole, the whole loaf of what I'm trying to communicate here. Yes, there is a difference. Yes, we're woefully injured by not having these things. Some of these things are what God brings about at time. They're not something we do. All I'm trying to say is don't close the door on God being able to do it. I'm also trying to say, and for, and for pity's sake, do not cease to pray for such a condition. Oh, we're not, we're not even to pray for these things because, you know, they're just, they're just against, our, against our confession of the Constitution. That's the point I'm trying to get at, is that there's an intellectual weakness here. So anyway, let me lay out my argument. Let me lay it out in a little more detail here. Okay. Yes. Of like the context of the Reformation and all that, um, you know, part of what made their historical moment so different was that there was an assumption, an understanding that uh, nations serve gods. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, the, the the Reformation that happened in Scotland and, and England and you know, on the continent and all that stuff. It was a matter of moving from uh, one form of a Christian nation to another, right? a, a matter of purity. And we are, like you said, uh, several steps removed from that. Yep, yep, like, yep. We don't even have a faulty nation that tries to serve God. No, no. And half of our Christian leadership doesn't even believe that you're saying it's right. possible. Exactly. And it's, a, it's just a totally different historical moment. It is. Um, but also, uh, the other thing, to deny the possibility of a Christian nation is to deny the possibility of a Christian family. Uh, uh, good point. Good point. Well put. I wish I said that. That's a great argument. I like it. Amen. It is, because Amen. the family feeds into, the, the family is the, the foundation of both the church and the state. Amen. Right? Amen. Well said. We don't, we don't deny that there's such a thing as a Christian family. Right. We don't deny there's such a thing as a Christian church. I hope right. not. I hope not. Right? <laughs> um, then why deny that there's such a thing as a Christian nation? Right. It's, it's a logical absurdity. That's all I'm trying to say. Amen. You, you capture the essence of what I'm trying to say. I'm and not then, trying to say be a zealot, go after it, because only God can do it. Yeah, but uh, just a, a pragmatic question I have. Um, and, and I know what you mean by saying that it, it's a work of God, amen, uh, and you probably wouldn't want to try to institute a Christian nation with less than a majority of people being Certainly Christian. not. But uh, just something I would maybe like for us to talk about or think about is um, does a civil leader who um, becomes convinced of Christianity need to wait until a certain number of people that he leads becomes persuaded of Christianity before he tries to rule in a Christian way. Because we wouldn't say that about, you know, a mother or father who is the only converted Christian in their home. I'll tell them to go read Daniel. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Because Daniel was in exactly that situation. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me get to the heart of where I'm coming from. Let me, let me, let me lay down a schism of thing. This chapter 13 in Rome was written when the Roman Empire was in power. I've been reading some good books on the Roman Empire. It's just, I've read Pax Romana and several other books trying to get more knowledgeable of the Roman history. As an aside, do you think the Jewish persecution was over at the fall of Jerusalem? No. Okay. The Jews were persecuted by Rome. They went into Babylon. They went into Egypt, wiping them out. They came back into Israel several decades later in Judea and wiped them out again, okay? I mean, so, so the, you know, and, and the Romans, I mean, you know, you talk about the Roman culture before being Christianized, even after Christianized. Here you have Nero, had a beautiful wife. Must have been beautiful women in the world. And apparently it was said that he kicked her in the stomach since she aborted a baby, and that's what was said, probably the truth. 
And he was very, very much hurt by that. Well, anyway, to make up for her, he found a little Greek boy who looked just like her. He had the boy castrated and, and denuded of important body parts. And that child became his lover. Okay, now that, that's Roman culture. Okay, that's the kind of culture that can sickly happen in a world, okay, that's there. So, but Roman culture, so I, don't, I don't mean to diminish it, but, but the point I'm trying to get to is that, is that nations are powerful things, okay? They have, and these influences of where we come from and other things are just, are just shocking what can happen in the world. I don't know that we're that far away from that in our society, okay? But, but okay, I, I don't know the answer to your question, uh, Trent, but, but I would argue maybe let's just think on it. Let's put it on the shelf here. Principle two, I've already, let's go to page two. Principle two, I've already done that last week. And, and you know, the point, point of getting at is we've kind of accepted a partial rather than complete statement. What we have in our confession is absolutely true. I'm not arguing that. I'm just trying to say that it isn't the complete truth. It's my only point. Number three, the state is all from both good and punish evil. I, rather, I don't have time to get into all of this, but I have here what Calvin stressed, the duties of magistrates, uh, you know, uh, and how important it was there, uh, uh, you know, and, and for many, most modern reform artists would limit the scope to the first table, but again, you go back and read Calvin and company, they saw it much broader than that. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Trent, too, our, our larger catechism is much clearer than our confession in regard to a lot of these things. Thornville, who was my reference point here, he sees the state as a moral argument. He argues that it's subject to the consequences of sin and bound to do the duty to obey the moral law under the same sanctions which pertain to the individuals. Okay, so that, that's where he's coming from. And he also says he offered two guiding principles in applying Scripture in several matters. First, that the state must acknowledge Scripture as true. You mean, you mean Presbyterians believed that one time? Uh, yep, yep, even, even 100 years ago. And regulate their conduct and legislation in conformity with their teaching. Yep, that, that's what the way they believed 100 years ago. It must pass no laws inconsistent with the will of God as revealed in the Holy Scripture. However, Scripture is not a positive constitution for the state in the relation it stands only with the church. Second, Thornville proposed a formal according to which the state could accept Scripture's as nothing shall be done which is not which they forbid. The state only has a negative restraining power. It has no authority over the consciences of men. Okay, so I think it's a well well written statement, okay. Now whether we ever have a chance to apply that or not, but I'm just trying to plant it that, that there isn't, you know, we, 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 we're so used to doing these straw man arguments that when our intellectualism is reduced to straw man. Oh, here's, you know, it's one extreme where there can only be 100% this and 100% that. And Thoreau said, no, there can really be a way in which Scripture is upheld. You look at the original constitutions of almost all the states in America before the American Constitution, and you'll see these principles laid out there. Fortunately, after civil look at it, I'm getting in. I'm getting into another dig on on, on us, and but and and, and a praise for the ARP. And, and again, I'll, I'll get into a ding on the ARP. But let me just get this out. Of, let me burp this out. After this, during the Civil War, the press adopted an increasingly spiritual and isolated perspective on the church and state relationship. In other words, we we got away from Thorvald's principles. We became more and more isolated and provided a, a convenient moral cover for the rationalization of slavery and then the reconstruction. So anyway, I, we were wrong, okay? In many ways, now you say, well, does the Bible talk about slavery and we get into all that argument? No. But is slavery right? No. Morally, principally, by our conscience? No. Okay, so, you know, we, we, we've got some baggage here in that regard, okay? We could argue whether that's right or wrong, and that's not my point here today, but, but I'm saying that once you start, you know, that, 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 <laughs> that there's a slippery slope here. The Associated Center of Reformed Presbyterian Church demonstrated much of this Christianity. They actually tried to have places where they set up uh, institutions for educating the, the slaves and other things. And, and most, one of the reasons why the ARP isn't very dominant today is that they couldn't exist in the South, okay? They, they really had, had a very... Yeah, you know, they thought slavery was morally wrong at heart, and 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 they. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't have time to plunge the whole depths of that history, but I'm saying here there's a lot of ancillary issues with this relation of what is a state and how do we get into this. On the other side, on the downside, the ARP's religion was a little off. 
they adopted because they fell prey to a doctrine called the Mara Modern Theology, a book written a couple hundred years ago, which is very ambiguously written and, 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 and frames the issue of grace and human works in a very ambiguous way, in my mind. It, it, it tries to just keep on both sides of the camp, all right? And Thomas Boston is a good example of following that, all right? So I think a lot of Thomas Boston and most people in Scotland hate me because I'm not a friend of Thomas Boston's in that regard, okay? But nonetheless, my point really is that that set the ARP up to adopt two chapters in their confession, one on love and one on the Holy Spirit, which are not in our confession. And, and it wasn't until actually a few years ago, about a decade or so ago, they got rid of those two chapters. Their confession is much like ours. Okay, today. Okay, they get rid of that. So, so I'm not. I'm not claiming they're always right or anything. I just want to be fair in, in what I'm trying to say. Move on. Principle, principle, principle four. Okay, I, I kind of got it. Okay, the issue is the relations between church and state. Uh, this is what we get. According to the two kingdoms principle, uh, uh, Christ has a kingdom administered by an, an ecclesiastical order and a kingdom administered by divine power without a. Ecclesiastical. So that there are two kingdoms here. And again, if you read Augustine and whoever else, the two kingdoms we're talking about are the eternal kingdom of the invisible church and the visible king and 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 the and, and, and the and the nation. Now there is a visible church and that fits into this, but it is not the principle and not the key idea here that in that discussion. In that one kingdom, Christ is the eternal Son of God, exercised sovereign dominion over all things, even as the Father does. For he and the Father are one. In the other kingdom, Christ as mediator rules to govern the elect. The dual government raises an important question. Should a Christian magistrate serve Christ as he is mediator and king of the church? Gillespie answers, certainly ought and must, not as a magistrate, but as a Christian. So here's an important principle of behavior here. How do we be, what is our obligation as a, as a magistrate, as an individual? I'm going to put that off till next week. That's an important question. And, 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 and again, I'll try to develop that better for next week. The Thornville, the real issue is not the relationship between states and this, but the relationship between states and Christ. Okay, so that's the real fundamental issue of acknowledging Christ. Thornville opposes the establishment of a single denomination over others, which is consistent with our confession. He clearly supported a Christian government. The state realizes its religious character through the religious character of its subjects. And the state is and ought to be Christian because its subjects are Christian. And I don't know what that may have been true in his day. I don't know that that's true. Here, 100-something years later, I don't know that that's still true. It is not enough for the state to acknowledge, in general terms, uh, the supremacy of God. It must acknowledge, in general terms, the supremacy of his Son, who is the ruler of nations, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Thorvald argued, it is legitimate for the state to have a religion, i.e. Christianity, that the Christianity was a religion of the state. I'm sorry, Christianity. Neutral, neutrality is impossible. Magistrates would not, have to profess, would not have to profess belief. Even a Jew could be a magistrate, but only acknowledge that Christianity was a religion of the state. Very simple rule. I mean, you're not trying to say everybody has it. He just says that's, the, that's what the state believes. Doesn't mean you have to believe that. It's not being forced on you. But you can be a magistrate without believing that, in Thornwell's view, which I think is fairly reasonable. Further, the state must mold its institutions in conformity with Christian principles. Uh, Thornville concluded, the gospel is the only solution for the state, given the power of the gospel is the only force that can change the inner man and eventually transform the outer world. Thornville contended that in his proposal, its proposals do not imply a single element of what is involved in a national church. So Thornville would not have an acknowledged national church in that sense, but he would have the church to essentially be Christian, which this may be a little bit broader view of things. Okay. Principle five. And I'll be brief here to the point that there was, you know, the more proactive role of the state is only valid in a covenanted land. Such a lands are not the work of man but of God. Until the church attains such unity of truth, the state should not attempt it. So I'm, I'm saying, hey, no, I don't, I don't agree. America ought to go do this tomorrow. No, that's not the point I'm trying to make. Matter of fact, that would be wrong. Until that time, it is a duty of every Christian in his place and station to combat false religion. So to me, I'm, I'm sort of walking, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on both sides of the camp here 
It is an individual thing. No, the nation all got, we, we ought to, uh, uh, if God pours out his heart and causes us to do that, great. But on our own, should we as a people? If no. It's an important principle. The goal of the Scottish Church was complete victory word. To them, Christian nation, leaders zealous to promote true religion was a desire blessing God. Under Knox, the Scottish Confession of Faith clearly defined the responsibilities of the civil magistrate. We affirm, chiefly and most principal, the conservation and purgation, purgation of religion appertains so that not only they, i.e. magistrates, are appointed for the civil, civil polity, but also for the maintenance of true religion and for suppressing the idolatry of superstition, whatever it may, it, it, whatever as is David, as was David, whatever, Hezekiah, etc., all of these, and others, highly commended for their zeal in that case, not to be a spy. So again, walking a thin line here, that's a little different than what Thornville says. I'm just giving you where, if you, if you march the clock back to Knox, that's where Knox was. According to James Bannerman, without some religion, no society on earth, it is admitted by all parties, no longer commonly held as true in this century later, could exist at all. And without the true religion, no society can exist happily. That's always true. Without true religion, we're not going to exist happily. Unfortunately, the modern church has lost its vision. In fact, our forefathers lost it when they agreed to lower the standards of ideal religion from a true religion to religion. Others' contributions have been to remove the need for religion altogether. The more practical role of the state envisioned by the covenanters require important safeguards. And I'm not going to get into all of these safeguards here, but again, they're, 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 just as I read in Thornwell's Ray, if you read Bannerman and others, there are some principles upon which that can be done that are well established in the Word of God. Principle number five, continuing the more proactive role envisioned by the covenanters requires important safeguards. And again, that's number three, four, that there are some important safeguards here. And, and you kind of can follow some biblical principles, like, like the building of the temple. You know, once the temple is built, it is built, rebuilt, symbolic of the church, as Nehemiah said, both the church and the state may cooperate or be, but in other words, we got to begin in the church is the point here. We don't begin in the state, we begin in the church. You know, that's where the Reformation has played. The other Reformation will follow. If the church is right, God's poured out that grace, the state will get in line. Fifth, the consent of the governor and the leading of the Christian state must covenant to establish and preserve the true religion. And again, this is, I'm just reading here what the Westminster Confession, what, what our founding principles were a long time ago. Whoever, but there's, a, there's, a, there's even Calvin, that whoever does take into his protection by the covenant's word any realm, nation, or province, city, so that of mercy he becometh to them conductor, teacher, protector, and father, that he may, he may cast this off the same care and fatherly affection which is in his word until they do utterly declare themselves unworthy of his presence. Okay. Next point. The true question is whether Christians should join a separate or separate from an immoral state. Paul clearly teaches us not to form alliances with lawless parties. So, so you have two very important principles here. Is there such a thing as a Christian nation? Yes. Can we be involved in it? Yes. When it, it, when it happens. But is there also some reality that we also, just say, it's back to this issue of family. I mean, is it okay to, to, for, for people of different views to marry? Okay, I mean, there, there is this reality where we're either on one side or the other of the question. And so I'm going to largely leave it at that and leave time for discussion here. Uh, you know, I, I've already given them a point on a solid legal covenant, okay? And, uh, you know, and again, there's some, some admonitions and possibilities here, but I'm not going to bore you with that. I want to leave you for these books. If you have some of them, start reading them, and we'll pick that up next week. But any discussion of what we said here, I want, I, if I've said something wrong, shoot me in the eye. Tell me, okay? I'm, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to get my mind around this topic. Of when you read Knox, when you read Calvin, when you read the Westminster Confession writers, here you can turn the clock forward. Oh, let me go back further. The First Reformation. Calvin, and we'll get to this next week, was very largely focused on this relationship between us and Christ, okay, the individual. Okay. He wanted to have little to do with individuals or fighting governments or whatever the case may be. You turn the clock forward to St. Bartholomew's Bay Massacre in France when the Protestants in France were massacred and it started a, a destruction of many of them. After that, the writings changed. They weren't quite so generous, okay? They, had, they, they became much more open to natural law ideas and other things. 
turn the clock forward. You have John Locke, you have an enlightenment, you have our disengaging from this original framework altogether. You turn the clock forward, you have James Thornwell, who still believes in such a, a possibility and even outlines some ways in which they can coexist. And you have today when we don't give a flip. So what happened? What, what, are, are they wrong? Which one of those is wrong? Where did they go wrong? Are we wrong? That's all I'm trying to ask. I'm getting you, trying to get you to think about that question. Because when you read these books, or we go over these books, each of these books are written in an historical context. You have to understand what the author's world was at that time. And, 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 and where they were in this battle, and we'll pick that up next week. Anyway, I'll leave the floor for discussion. One of the things that, uh, I mean, since this war in Israel started, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot more talk kind of about listening to the podcast. There's a lot of secular folks talking about the nature of, of Islam. And while we as Christians have grossly lost our way uh, in, in understanding what is implications of the faith and what it means to be a nation, our enemies, one of them being Islam, has not forgotten our implications. And one of the ways you can measure your position is by how, uh, how much resistance you're getting. And I don't, you know, as Americans in our context, when we look around the world and we see how other Christians are being persecuted, we fail to realize that they're being persecuted because of the threat that they present to these other systems. So like right now in Africa, there are Christians who are being genocided mm -hmm. by Muslims. Not because Muslims are just, well, like, we just hate Christians. No, they hate Christians because Christianity taken out to its logical conclusion makes Christ king. Right. Right. So in America today, we don't give a flip, as you said, because we don't really believe Christ should be king. Right. If we're being right. really honest with right. ourselves, right? Right. Like, we'll pray for Christian magistrates, but we don't right. have to believe it. Right. Right. Like you said, like, that's right. If it were to happen, there would be a group of Christians that would say, well, our confession doesn't allow it. Right. <laughs> Jesus could come down now and say, I am king of kings and lord of lords and all nations must bow to me. And there would be some TR who would stand up and go, wait a minute. <laughs> right, you know, right. The confession says, like, like, we have a goofy view of Christianity because we don't understand really what it is. Right. We don't really believe what we believe, but our enemies know what we all Amen. Believe. It says they're united. Yeah. Okay. They, they know what they want. Right. They want our destruction. Right. Okay. They want our destruction because we are their existential threat. Right. And, you know, Muslims really believe it. Right. Muslims really believe right. the Quran. Muslims right. really believe, right? Our right. enemies are the woke people, right? right? Radical leftism or whatever you want to call it, woke. Right. You know, they really believe their thing too. Right. But we're, I think we're losing the day sometimes because we don't really believe. You know, we, we have been allowed to hold on to, on the whole, I'm right. not saying individually. Right. All of us have had different experiences of Christianity in our lives in different places. In different, right. But on the whole, it seems like we have been allowed to hold tentatively to things without actually having to prove them. Yep. Yep. And yep. When, we, when you live that way, you don't really care. You know, it's, it's easy believism. And, I, and I, one of the questions I have just is, do you think part of this too, and you mentioned some of the Thornwell, post-enlightenment, one of the big things that I, I'm starting to realize, like in the Reformation era, there were, you could argue that there was more formalism. Yep. You know, if you made the outside of the thing right, the inside would fall That's sadly true, yeah. So, but now we're also, we're, we're on the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Where there's a sense in which the outside of a thing doesn't matter at all. Right. Do you think that that's? I, I think first, right if there, you or? could summarize my view better than what you just said, that's it. Okay. I, I've studied this thing, and, and I try to which of these which of these views is right. But when I get to when I get to the heart of each one of these views, when I get to Calvin, and his and his insistence on us, the, the key point I want to leave you with is the inside. If the inside of the church is right, we'll have less problem with the state. If our inside is right, we'll have less problem with the church and the state, okay, and our family and everything else. The key is on the inside. 
and like I said, when I read when I read DeVay's uh, sermons, thinking I'm going to get an answer to this question, he only focused on one thing: Do you have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and are you living as required of Christian? That, that's that's the fundamental question. These, this is an interesting topic. I enjoy it. It's intellectually stimulating. I get it. I, I don't mind going through it. I, I think it's wonderful to understand this because it helps us realize our context better. Okay, so I'm not advocating for evolution. That's not what I'm here for. But but I will say that if God brings about a change, we need to. We'll be part of it. We won't have. We won't have to debate. These people didn't debate this. They went out and signed that document, one right after another. They didn't, they didn't debate it. It was clear to them. Okay, it's not clear to us today. Okay, so we need to stay. You know, to, uh, I'll leave it at that. That that when you read these things, and I'll, 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 if I had to pick one of these books, which I think is the best, when to obey. Okay, of all of these, Vindicae is good, but but it gets a little 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 off the wagon in a few places. But it, when to obey, you had to pick one of these books, and the other one would be the Contested Public Square. Those are the two best books on this page. So, uh, and 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 I would argue that if you read, if you go back and look at when to obey. You get down to the issue of, didn't Christ tell us we'll be persecuted? Didn't Christ tell us that we'll be in this world to where the enemy is united against us and we're not? Didn't Christ tell us all of this? You know, what are sheep required to be wolves? What is this question? God forbid. You know, we're required to be sheep. Okay, that's who we're made. That's who we are. And, and we need to understand. So the point I'm trying to get at is, yeah, we need to understand it, but but but, but, but this way. As sheep... Wouldn't it be nice to have a pasture? Wouldn't it be nice to have the field being rained on? Wouldn't it be nice to have all of these? Yes, okay. I'm saying, hey, let's, 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 let's just, yes, I don't want to get you from the idea of you're a sheep, be a sheep, God bless you. That, that's what you're here to do. But something's wrong when we don't even want the good pasture anymore. When we don't want to have the trough to have our feed and the food, okay? We don't want the other sheep to not bite our backs all the time, okay? Is something wrong with us to have one panel? That's all I'm trying to argue. There's something we're missing, and it breaks my heart. And I'm just trying to share that. That's all I'm trying to say. Close the Lord prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, help us through this journey. But above all, remind us who we are. We're your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. Lord, we are in a covenant relationship with you. And Lord, with that covenant, we shouldn't focus on the rights, but on the obligations that you have for us there. But Lord, those obligations are duties. And those duties require our perseverance, but they also require our dependence and trust on you alone. Because if anything's going to change this, Lord, only you can do it. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.